right, welcome back to another edition of uh, Mormon Expression. I'm your host, John Larson. And tonight, we have assembled another fine panel from the uh, four corners of Zion, which is now... Is it, is it, Mike, is it, is Zion just this, the American continent, or does it include the whole world now? I, I, I lose track of where Zion is these days. <laughs> uh, I think Zion has many stakes. Is that how it is? So if you have a, oh, okay. a good celestial family, you've established a stake of Zion. Hey, you know, I was watching this YouTube video as long as we're on a tangent and they were showing it had inspirational music and it had the growth of the church by stakes. And they had no oh, stake. Yeah. They had no stake in Missouri. Where, where's the the central stake? Don't they understand the? Or, or, or is that a pole? Because it's supposed to be like a tent, right? Is Missouri right. is is Missouri stake called a pole? Or or <laughs> the shaft? Come on, come on, help me out, guys. I'm asking doctrinal questions. This is important stuff. I don't know because a central stake doesn't really make any sense, right? It'd be many throughout the tent as if it's a big one. <laughs> all right. So, um, moving from left to right, first of all, we have Brant. Hey, Brant. Hi, John. How are you? I'm doing well. Welcome back. Thank you. Left to right is how your um, pictures appear on my Skype um, monitor. <laughs> That's a, um, and uh, next we have Glenn. Hey, Glenn. Hey, John. Uh, how do you know it's really me? Um, we'll find out here in a minute. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Glenn moves around so much. I'm wondering if he's in the witness protection program. So maybe it isn't really Glenn. <laughs> moves around so much. I thought he just moved down the street. Uh, yeah, I, right. He's always in <laughs> China, true. Japan. Oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. That's true. All right, and um, the intrepid Mike Tannehill. Hey, Mike. It's a pleasure to be back again. It is, and 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 welcome, welcome back, welcome home. Thank you. I think you're the most popular character on the podcast, Mike. How's Sur- that? Surpassed only by Zilpha. I don't have your golden radio voice, John. <laughs> no, Mike, but you have this um, aura and that aura? reaches out and touches people. <laughs> All right, and joining us for the first time is Megan. Hi, Megan. Hi. You want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. You want you want my my Mormon cred? Uh, whatever um, you think is valuable. <laughs> Uh, I was actually not born in the covenant. My even though my what? my mother's family. I know, I know. It's I missed it by six years. So uh, our blood mother, is different. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. So just warning you that you know if you hear anything that's not entirely appropriate, then that that's probably what it's down to. Yeah. Um, my my mother's family though are um, you know the traditional old Mormon family. They were just a little bit. Um, Jack Mormon, and she was an agnostic when she married my dad, and my dad is a, is a convert. He was converted um, when I was six years old. So uh, my mother likes to say that he was converted just in time because <laughs> my sister and I were obviously we were just teetering on the edge of carnal sin yeah, at the age of six. You know? Definitely. Right. So. <laughs> you were almost fully accountable just two more years almost. to go to, till you reached the age of majority. <laughs> exactly. All right. Exactly. Well, well, welcome. Uh, feel free to uh, to to mix it in. Excellent. Thank you. Um, all right. And uh, so, um, ladies and gentlemen, tonight um, we are continuing in our series of uh, Dummies Con podcast. Of course, the dummies are us. And um, we are. I, I set a goal some time ago to work my way through the entire Doctrine and Covenants on this uh, program, and we're moving forward. At the speed of, at this rate, we'll have it done in about 74 years, I think. <laughs> um, 
So, so tonight we are focusing on section 129 in the LDS uh, version. I, I didn't, I didn't bother to look to see if um, our Reorgite brothers um, have that one in their in their version. I, I know some of these later ones they, they sort of dropped. Um, this one is one of the shortest at, at a mere nine verses, but oh, so rich in content and doctrine. And I'm just ever so thankful that this received the attention of getting canonized. Cause normally when Joseph said crazy crap like this, it sort of gets brushed <laughs> under the, uh, brushed under the rug. But, but this one was preserved for posterity, posterity's sake. Um, and in fact, it was added, I believe in the, um, 79 edition. I don't, I don't think it was, Joseph was actually editing the, the edition of the Doctrine and Covenants when this was, um, uh, this revelation was recorded, and I don't think it was added till well after his death. Um, and that's the same time they swapped out the two um, polygamy, um, the two polygamy revelations. Up until that point, it had said said in the Doctrine and Covenants that, of course, uh, polygamy was against the rules: one one man, one woman. And then after they'd stopped sort of practicing it, then they put in the revelation to cover it. So, so <laughs> that was a significant change. And when I say stop. Practicing, I mean, they were still practicing it, but they were being prosecuted for it. All right. Um, so this one appears in the history of the church. Um, let's see. What, what other relevant facts do we need to get into before we start getting into the text? Wasn't there something going on with the temple at the time? And they'd learned a lot of things about the temple, but Parley was out of town. And this came about as he was telling Parley kind of what they were learning in the temple, but Parley hadn't gone to the temple yet. Yeah, it, it, it was... In the midst of, well, he used it to appease Parley because he wasn't able to give him the full endowment yet. So he's like, "Here, take this, and and be well with you." <laughs> here's here's a here's a, a fascinating key, Parley, that you can have until we give you your full endowment or whatever it was at that time. Right. And so this came February ninth, eighteen forty three, which is really the height of Joseph Smith's. Um, he's on a roll. Uh, this is, this is when he was knee deep in polygamy. He was, he was marrying women every week at this period. Um, and you know, which he slowed down, um, you know, preceding his, his, um, his martyrdom. Uh, there were a lot of revelations coming fast and furious. They were building the temple. Things were really cooking in Nauvoo, but they hadn't started getting crazy yet. Um, when was, um, Bennett, um, kicked out? It was around about this time. So, so things had started getting a little nutty, but it was still Joseph Smith was just right at the zenith of his um, revelatory power. And the the LDS.org uh, manual, the Institute manual, did mention that Wilford Woodruff mentioned this in his journal maybe as early as 1839. So this is another one kind of like DNC 132 where they say it was probably floating around. It had probably been revealed to Joseph Smith much earlier than he actually revealed it to the saints in Nauvoo. Um, but yeah, you're right. I mean, when it, when this 1843 got recorded, it was right in the, the zenith of Nauvoo. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So let, let's just jump right in. Um, the, the history of the church precedes this revelation by saying, spent most of the day in conversation with Parley P. Pratt and others. And that's what we were, we were referencing. And the revelation is prefaced by, um, and this is missing from the DNC. Three grand keys by which good or bad angels or spirits may be known. 
Revelation of Joseph the Prophet at Nauvoo, Illinois, February 9th, 1843. I love that rhetoric. That shows up all the time. The, the grand keys. You know, like, this isn't just like how to make sure you have the right server at Denny's. These are grand keys of understanding the metaphysics of beings. Um, and, and, you know, Joseph, he liked that hyperbole and I like that about him. I was going to say, is that a bad thing that he says this is so important that we're going to, these are the three big ones? No, no, it's, it's good because every missionary knows this comes in handy all the time. I mean, isn't this, (laughs) isn't this in the white Bible? Isn't this something that Mormons use as they go out into the world and discern the uh, adversary from, from friend from foe? Well, and we'll, we'll probably get into this with Glenn, but I think every missionary either has a story or has heard a story about encountering some spirit and wanting to do this and, and, you know, uh, something magical happens where either they refuse to shake or they disappear. I mean, I, I heard it a lot when I was in Korea. Really? Yep. I haven't heard, I haven't heard a lot of the, the shaking hand stories actually. So I'm not going to be able to help you out much there, Brent. But, but I was thinking about that article that you shared and you could probably share it on the website that Jason Lindquist wrote where he does a, a linguistical analysis of keys, you know, so that hyperbole that you're talking about, John, he, he writes, I mean, it's like a 38 page dialogue article and he talks about the importance of, of the, the word keys and, and what it means to Joseph at the time. It's, it's an interesting read. Yeah. Cause it's, it's used in the church now. They usually only talk about keys in terms of priesthood mm-hmm. authority, like the powers you can exercise given your particular office of the priesthood. But the term when it was coined was bandied around, was bantered around a lot more um, uh, loosely. It, it was applied to a lot of different things. Yeah, I was going to say, actually, for the, the girl version of that mission story is that w- when we were all at sleepovers, this would come up. You know, we didn't have the missions, but we would be at sleepovers. And, and it was one of the things that the girls could do. We, we were all ready. We were ready to shake hands with, with anything that came along. Really? You guys <laughs> talked about this and got excited? Oh, absolutely. Oh, oh, yeah. Awesome. You see, there was... There was very, very little that girls could do, you know, in terms of keys and exciting stuff. And so, yeah, we were we were ready to shake hands with, you know, we were we were sure it was going to happen. Ready to shake hands with the devil. Now, that's it. <laughs> now I remember a Sunday school teacher telling us not to talk about this revelation because there's this Mormon um, taboo against. Yeah. Oh, I guess it's not just Mormons. You know, others have the the taboo against speaking of the devil or to, or even oh, yeah. mentioning the devil, um, and you're not supposed to do that. Oh yeah, Definitely. we heard it. We heard it a lot, and it was always well. I don't, I don't want. It was either a seminary teacher or I had a lot from uh, MTC teachers. They were always well. I, I don't want to talk about it because I, I don't want the devil to come in if we're talking about him. And that was always the context it was. And then it would be followed by, but and they say whatever they want to say. But we got the same thing. Okay, I want to read um, the passage that follows from this is from History of the Church. Uh, my copy here is copyright. You can never be sure. They, they change things all the time. Uh, it's a 1949 second edition revised. Um, so um, th- th- this, this, this is the story in the history of the church that, that follows directly. A man came to me in Kirkland, this is in the voice of Joseph Smith, and told me he had seen an angel and described his dress. I told him he had seen no angel and that there were no such dress in, that there was no such dress in heaven. He... <laughs> He grew mad and went into the street and commanded fire to come down out of heaven to consume me. I laughed at him and said, you are one of Baal's prophets. Your God does not hear you. Jump up and cut yourself. And he commanded fire from heaven to consume my house. 
<laughs> um, I love that story. <laughs> uh, I, 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 why, why, why do you love that story, Mike? I just, I just add things to it in my mind. Like you can imagine uh, a guy trying to describe the dress of an angel, you know, with golden threads and jewels encrusted on the sleeves. And, and when you got a simple story of Joseph when he describes Moroni coming to visit him and how he was dressed, it's just two different, two different perspectives. Somebody that's actually experienced and somebody making something up. You know, I, and going along with that, he, <laughs> his response. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll no, go, go ahead, Glenn. Go ahead. Well, you, you just said one that's had the actual experience and one that's just making it up. Well, or or one that's just much better at making it up. And I was going to say popular in, opinion behind him in Liars Club. Whoever goes last wins. Hey, I I, <laughs> I saw an angel. He was wearing a purple robe. Oh no, you didn't. Angels don't wear purple robes. You know, well, it's like, an, what can you say? <laughs> there's an even better one though. Uh, it's from the teachings of the prophet Joseph Smith that I found. Uh, it's section four from the. It's around this time frame, 1839 to 42, page 214, where there was a sister in the state of New York had a vision who said it was told her that if she would go to a certain place in the woods and an angel would appear to her. She went at the appointed time, saw a glorious personage descending, arrayed in white with sandy-colored hair. And apparently, angels don't have sandy-colored hair. Yeah. Because later it says, how may it be asked, was this known to be a bad angel? And the answer is, by the color of his hair. <laughs> <laughs> well, the other part of that, that same story, is that he was conflicting against a revelation the prophet had given. Mm-hmm. And so he was he was going against the order of the priesthood. No, he was yeah. going against Joseph Smith. Oh, and okay. you, were, you weren't allowed to do that. He would put you in your place. I, and I think that's what people really like about this story, is that, that Joseph Smith's so, uh, I don't know, dickish? Well, I mean, he's kind of like, jump up and cut yourself, <laughs> you know? I mean, yeah, well, he's, he's like, put the, the guy say? in his place. The angel told her that if the husband went 100 miles beyond his house, he was going to die. But he went on and served a faithful mission and... And brought people into the church, and and so oh, he was I'm talking about against a different. I was talking about the one that John read, where yeah, where the, he's, he's calling the guy a, a oh that one. A ball and jump up and cut yourself. I mean, the you original know, story. He's he, he's so confident. I mean, they're they're at least with what we have in the history of the church. There's, it's not like he's saying, "Well, I don't know if that's it." It's it's that's that's not it. And I think that's what at least for a lot of. Uh, Mormons, they they love that. They love the fact that he's so confident that he could say, "That's not what you saw." And I think yeah. for for LDS people, it gives them this confidence that ah, see, he was so confident about it, and he shut him down so quickly that right. he he must know what he's talking about. Yeah, like the the guys who dress like Quakers that live on the moon. He knows what people <laughs> wear in different places. Well, it's it's just so great about Joseph. You know, you look at the prophets today, and they're really sort of wishy washy, and you know. The, what was it? Hinckley was asked, how do you receive revelation? Well, it's a feeling. And Joseph would say, hey, Paul, Paul speaks with a lisp, has a big nose and is short. <laughs> you, you, you know, it's like he, it fills in the detail, you know, and either he's a profound liar or, or, or he is a different order of prophet and being than anybody who's come since because no one's had the chutzpah sense to, to ever speak that way. Um, so you got to love the guy. All right, should we get into the to the revelation here? Now, it, uh, d- did you find the one in 128, the exact verse where uh, Adam comes and teaches him how to dispel Satan? Because I think that might feed into this a little bit. Adam? Adam I came. Was, I thought it was Michael. Adam is Michael. Oh, Same thing. Yeah, we, we, haven't, we haven't gotten to that part yet. But, yeah, don't, yeah, don't jump ahead in the book. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Spoilers. 
There we go. Verses twenty twenty one. Wait, oh, this is Doctrine and Covenants section one twenty eight. Yes, it's it's just before this one, but it, it's going to lead into it because what's the date on one twenty eight? Uh, September sixth, eighteen forty two. All right. All right. Um, let's see. The voice of Michael on the banks of the Susquehanna detecting the devil when he appeared as an angel of light. So now, he's, now, he's <laughs> saying in 128 that he was on the banks of the Susquehanna. Apparently the devil had made an appearance to Joseph and Adam had come and dis- dispersed the devil. Now let's so be clear to all of our – wait, we, we got we to gotta explain something to all of our non-Mormon listeners. When they're saying that Adam was on the banks of the Susquehanna River, they mean like when Adam was it was in the Garden of Eden. I'm sorry, I can't. I can't. <laughs> no, 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 no. This is something that happened to Joseph. Well, you, because you mean, he, he, this you, is amongst a list of things yeah, such as Peter, he, James, and John restoring the priesthood. Wait, so and because he, he mentions Gabriel, he mentions Raphael, and he mentions Michael. So he's mentioning these great archangels that he, from that the he's Old Testament. That he that met on the banks of the Susquehanna River, right? He, yeah, because right after that, he says, "I saw Peter, James, and John in the wilderness between Harmony and Susquehanna County when they declared themselves and possessed the keys of the kingdom and gave them to Joseph." Wait, Peter, so James, and John Adam on the banks of Susquehanna. Jo- John was a. I thought John was to tarry on this earth. He he met up with Peter and James to give Joseph the keys. Apparently, okay, yeah, they, they, they just met up. So, so, so on, anyway, on the banks of the this Susquehanna feeds into one twenty nine because obviously this is probably where Joseph learned this. All right, all right, I'm, I'm with you. I'm on, I'm on page. Go ahead. Okay, so anyway, Joseph met Adam as he dispersed Satan when he came to mess with Joseph, and this is probably where he got one twenty nine from. That's all. That's all I'm saying. So go ahead. And, and that's that's suggested in the Institute Manual on LDS.org. So so Mike's not alone in saying this for all those people out there that say Mike's not representing. He is right here. You're welcome. <laughs> all right, all right. So good. Let's let's get into one twenty nine. Okay. Um, first of all, um, verse one. There's only nine verses. There are two kinds of beings in heaven. Namely, angels who are resurrected personages having a body of flesh and bones. All right, no let's, blood. Let's stop there. That's that's code in 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 Mormonism. Um, so you you said no blood, Glenn. You want to explain that? Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if there's an official explanation for it, but the the way that I remember hearing it as I was growing up was that when a person's resurrected, you know, because blood is corruptible and, and carries disease and all this stuff. And so a resurrected being doesn't have blood throwing, flowing through their, their body. Maybe there's like some celestial glory or something that flows through instead that uses the Venus system. I don't know. But, um, yeah. So that, 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 that it, it, you're right. It's code for resurrected being flesh and bone. Yeah. I, I, I was always taught it was spirit instead of blood. Yeah. Isn't there a sure. quote from Brigham Young somewhere on the subject? I I don't have it, but I thought Brigham there, There's a lot of people have talked about it. This isn't a secret doctrine. You can read Joseph Fielding Smith and stuff who talk about it. Uh, the way I was explained is, you know, um, in, and it's funny the way they use science when it helps their, their cause. Uh, you know, the blood transports, uh, nutrients and oxygen to the cells and then, um, takes back, um, toxins, um, to the liver and such. Uh, and, um, it, so the the idea is if you replaced it with some kind of um you know celestial 
um, incorruptible viscous fluid, um, then it would, you would no longer need to breathe or eat or uh, poop, I I guess, because all that would be taken care of by this perpetual motion fluid. Um, So in Mormonism, you will see living beings referred to as flesh and blood and resurrected beings referred to as flesh and bone. Isn't there also a doctrine that blood is what makes us temptable? Oh, that's neat. I hadn't heard that one. That's what I that's what I heard. The blood is what makes it so that Satan can influence our passions or something like that. Mm, wow. Cool. I wonder how that works. I don't know. I need to I wish I had the official quote. I'm not just pulling it out of thin air. I heard it somewhere. <laughs> it's not like a Stephanie Meyer thing, is it? <laughs> oh. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Uh, Vampires are resurrected beings. Here's the quote I was able to find on on us having spirit instead of blood. This is from Howard W. Hunter. There's a separation of the spirit and the body at the time of death. The resurrection will again unite the spirit with the body, and the body becomes a spiritual body, one of flesh and bones, but quickened by the spirit instead of blood. Thus, our bodies after the resurrection, quickened by the spirit, shall become immortal and never die um, the natural body is flesh and blood, but quickened by the spirit instead of blood, it can enter the kingdom. What so if I you severed the jugular of a resurrected being? Could they bleed out? Well, you better have sunglasses on. Some serious <laughs> sunglasses. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. Um, having bodies of flesh and bones in verse 2. For instance, Jesus said, Handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones, as ye see me have. All right, so that's the first type of of being in heaven, angels who are resurrected personages. Um, And verse 3, Secondly, the spirits of just men made perfect, they who are not resurrected, but inherit the same glory. So saying in heaven, there are two types of people, those who have been resurrected and those who are yet to be resurrected, just men who have not yet received their glory. Every time you say just men, I chuckle. (laughs) <laughs> just men? Like, no men, no women. Just men. just men. Just men. Just men. <laughs> but doesn't this actually set this in time a little bit? Because as I understand it, the resurrection wasn't kicked off until Christ was resurrected. So if there are angels, that means that this is post Christ's resurrection. Does that is is that true or not? Am I totally off base with that? No, well, I think you're you right. Have, on. You had the citizens of Enoch that have been translated. So you also had angels in Old Testament time that were translated beings. Okay. No, Megan, I, oh, I remember a seminary um, lesson about that, saying that there were no re- – this this revelation would have not been in effect before um, circa oh. 34 AD because there were only the latter type. There were there weren't any of the former because you're right. Until Jesus was resurrected, that's, that's when it started um, getting people resurrected. And, and then George I suppose Cannon there's has a an quote end- about that too. Yeah, I thought I saw something like that. And, and there's also an end point to this because the spirits of just men made perfect, they don't have bodies yet. So at some point they're going to be embodied. Right? So there's got to be, this is just, this is a, a, a limited time key here. You can only take advantage of it during this special offer, I guess. Yes. Yes, you're right. Okay. Because at some point all these guys will be, um, will be resurrected. But the, but it is interesting. I mean, you know, Mike raises a good point about the the distinction between a translated being and a resurrected being. Because even uh, who was the prophet? Was it Elijah that was taken up? Um, 
as a translated being as well. So. Yeah, I think so. And even Moses, maybe, you know, that like never actually tasted death to be resurrected. They were just translated. Like what, what, what is that? And why doesn't Joseph Smith include that in the description of an angel? That's a good question. Cause, cause you remember the, the story of Abraham and, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah where there's like these three angels that show up. And they, right. they prepare food for them, and they wash their feet, and they do all these things that you would do to a physical being. And you know, then they go to to Sodom and Gomorrah, and the men come out and say, you know, we want to we want to know them. You know, so who who are those angels? To 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 go to Megan's question, if there were no angels before the resurrection, they'd have to be translated beings. I guess that's the only option. Well, now, this does not technically say there are only two kinds of of messengers, although that is implied. Uh, it says there are only two kinds of beings in heaven. In heaven. Um, now, now the question I have is, the, the in the second case, the spirits of just men made perfect. So that would imply to me that these are people who had experienced their mortal probation already. They had come to this earth and proved that their their justice and made been made perfect. Um there's sort of a kind of an implication on the first one too, right? That that these are beings of this sphere. And I seem to recall somewhere there's another writing that says only only um angels or beings that that are assigned to this sphere can appear here. Oh right, yeah. Um, that sounds familiar to me. So, 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 um, you know, Adam, who became Michael, could then appear as an ministering angel, and then Noah, who became Gabriel, could appear as a ministering angel. But before Noah, Gabriel could have no effect on this planet. Is that is that right? Well, no, because he he had been assigned in the the pre mortal council, so he was still assigned to this earth. So, both. So he Cam did show up here. before, didn't didn't Gabriel show up? Oh, no, I guess he was after Noah in the Old Testament, wasn't he? Because in in the temple, um, um, three th- Peter, James, and John appear to Adam when Adam yeah. is in his mortal probation, mm-hmm. and they unfortunately they shake hands. So yeah. um, we'll we'll come back to that to see what, where they <laughs> um, oh. um, see how that fits in with with this. Um, well, th- there's also in in that. Uh, Institute manual um, for for DNC one twenty nine, I think that's where it is. There's another quote, and Brant, maybe maybe you'll have to help out with this, but someone who includes the spirits of people yet born yes. as part of that spiritual category, John. So you said it was just like the just men made perfect, or the ones that have already been through mortality, but I think they also have to allow for the unborn spirits because, I mean, especially in these days as opposed to in times of Joseph Smith. But in these days, you hear a lot of stories about mothers who see their children before they're born, and that's how they know they need to have another one, um, you know, things like that. So that would kind of fit into this whole – I don't know if they're asking to shake hands with them. <laughs> oh, the, the reference to angels who minister this earth, the only ones that come to it, are uh, is DNC 130 verse 5. Oh, see? Look at me. Pull that one out. All right. I think the the quotation you were talking about just then about the the just men who haven't yet come to earth the, the quotation I had uh, was spirits of just men make perfect are individuals who have not yet been born and are thus unembodied 
or whose spirits are separated from their bodies in death and are thus disembodied. So it can be either one. But that, that raises the question of how can they be just if they haven't yet been tried on earth? Well, there's a strong, um, in, in, in Joseph Smith's later writings here, um, the people pointed out that, that Mormonism started to push towards more universalism. And that's true, but it also started to push to a strong um, predeterminism. And I, I think you see that come out, you know, like we talk about in the, in the in the temple, where Peter, James, and John were Peter, James, and John before they were even born. They they were, um, you know, the the apostles of of, of Christ. And the Pearl of Great Price um, talks extensively about that. This foreordination. There's people who are put in their places, and I, I see it taught today in the church that virtually everything. If if, you, if you're going to be the deacon's quorum secretary when you're 13 and a half. You are foreordained to that in the preexistence. They sat down and laid their hands on your spiritual head and 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 put you in that office. So this whole Matt, it would be sort of disheartening that um, you're going along with everybody. You're in the preexistence. Okay, we're getting ready, and and you, your whole group is getting ordained, and then suddenly they stop ordaining you. It's like ooh, <laughs> well, that's when you well, turn to uh, prostitution. On, on that subject, uh, John the Revelator said, and I saw a strong angel in Revelation five two. So, meaning there's a there's a category of angels. There, there's a rank and, and and precedence that some are greater than others. Uh, and Bruce R. McConkie said about it: as with men, so with angels, some are greater than others. There is rank and precedence, and there are varying degrees of power and might among God's ministers. Which, as you said, would be in the Pearl Great Price, where when Abraham has his vision, he sees, the, you know, some are great, some are lesser. Yeah, Mike. Actually, but if. I'm hoping you can actually answer this because you've said before that one of the reasons that we don't have really strong revelations from God is because that would do away with our ability to make that choice. Is that right? And that we would be responsible for something. It would take away our agency. But now we're talking about stuff that happened in the preexistence when they were in the presence of God. And yet clearly there's ranking going on and decisions being made. And yet, so is there agency in the preexistence? And how does yes. that work? Why is it different on Earth? You know, why was their judgment going on before they even came to Earth? I, I don't quite understand that. Or to rephrase your question, if we have agency in the preexistence, why do we need this Earth to be tested? Yes, especially in the way that we're being tested. Well, because in in the preexistence we didn't have a veil, right? And here but we then do. Why why would that I mean, that's what I don't understand is if without the veil they were still being apparently tested and tried and valued right. and ranked and all of this why um, and, why do we need the veil now and billions and billions of people with full knowledge in the preexistence told told God to bugger off yeah right <laughs> the hosts right yeah they did. so clearly full knowledge and, and and complete knowledge of God is not actually a, a limiting factor to our agency. Well, in the, in the pre-existence, cream was rising among among people who was who was naturally righteous and who was naturally disobedient, and we, they took of the best of those. So wait, put so us God here to see. I don't understand that? it. So God God created some beings as naturally better than other beings. I don't, I don't understand. No, no, that's not it. Okay, I must have um, misread what you said. No, it's I, an I'm, interesting thing in in the story of Abraham. God first shows him his creations and how some planets are capable of bearing life and some aren't. And then he, there's a, there's a little part in a verse halfway through the revelation where he says, as also, and he goes on to spirits and some, as he organizes them, cause they're already existing, he organizes them and some are capable of sustaining life and some are not. So some, well, but people all, all have been are. organized. 
Yeah. Well, let's say that some people, right, Mike? It's 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 what they choose. Yeah. So that doesn't weigh with a lot of agency. You know, uh, but but there is that line in the King Follett discourse where Joseph's talking about this sea of intelligence or whatever, and God was the most preeminent of all of the intelligences, and that's what made him God status. And that was referring to Christ. What? No, Elohim, the Father, was the most preeminent of all, and that's why he became God. And then he he formed, you know, or organized from the intelligences these spirits, and you know, then they have agency to be all that they can be. See, and in the pre-existence, you're choosing to come here for the trial period. Here, we're learning to stand alone, not just be obedient to our Father, but learning to see if we will be like our Father here. That's the difference. If you are, did we already are. Is Brant still with us? Yes, I'm still with you guys. All right, I want to hear. I want to hear. I want to hear you weigh weigh in on this one. Mm. I feel like we're picking on Mike again. Not that it's not fun to pick on Mike. <laughs> no, I, I think I'm trying to do, Mike. Sorry. That's no, what I'm think trying to that, do. that kind of what you guys are talking about, it, it brings up two separate and distinct things within Mormonism. Part one is simply the fact of, we, we like to say that everyone is the same in the eyes of God, and, and we all come here kind of with a fair shot. But on the other hand, kind of what Mike's saying, that's a doctrine that's within there. There are some people who, based on their righteousness and the preexistence, are, in a sense, theoretically better than others. And and that's always something that I've kind of sat back and had to look at within kind of my own sphere saying, well, okay, does that mean that, for example, is, is there a string of, of, in a sense, nepotism within the church that, okay, anyone through, let's say, the the Smith line, they are available to, <laughs> to become leaders of the church? Because I mean, if, you, if you look at, you know, where the apostles came from, they're all from that line or other lines. So does that mean that, that, not that I want this, but does that mean that I have no shot because I'm not from that family line? I think well, you're what a does participation that do to the God is no respecter of persons doctrine, which mm-hmm. is sort of a really fundamental one. And then the other question is then are these, does that mean that if you're kind of one of those, you know, blue light special intelligences, are, are you kind of judged on the basis that you're kind of wimpy or, you know, and you still can maybe get to that, that higher kingdom or you just kind of, there's no chance for you. You, you started out kind of pathetic and, and, and that's it. I'd- no, this is, this is where the Abrahamic covenant ties into it. Because I knew we most, were going to get it back. <laughs> the, the, the men of the church who, who rose to the status of prophet, like you said, the Smith line were from Hiram. Whereas Joseph's descendants, you don't see them cropping up in the church. It's because Joseph's children rebelled. Whereas Hiram's remained faithful where he could pray that his children would receive opportunities and blessings in the church. And so everyone that was endowed with power that died prays for their descendants, and those descendants are offered opportunities because the Lord delights to honor those who serve him in righteousness. So but to so go the prayers but to, of the righteous will raise up the value of somebody who's maybe not quite as awesome? Will, God will place more opportunities in their path to honor their parents who kept their covenants. Hmm. And, and, I, and I get what Mike is saying. I mean, I, I really do think there are people within the church who just by by nature of who they are by I think I think there are people that are better in tune spiritually than others I think there are people that are just naturally better leaders than other and if you take the mormon theology you can kind of say that okay there were people who just were naturally better and that could be a gift from god for all these different reasons 
But sometimes then you get into interesting questions because if we go down this road of, okay, there were people who came to this earth that were maybe more righteous, then you start getting into fun things like blacks in the priesthood and if there's any right. legitimacy yeah, we behind say, some of that other stuff. Since there were people who chose not to come to this earth, there were, there were some – we'll call them fence sitters, right? There were fence oh, sitters in the preexistence. <laughs> and, and, and because, um, you know, like Mike's saying, God – De- delivers out boons and favors based on your parents, he had to decide who would go with whom. And sometimes he would give special favors to some people, and sometimes he might say, oh, put a mark on other people to suggest that they were not as favorable and that they shouldn't, oh, I don't know, intermarry with the people who were um, who were more favorable. Yeah, I, I, I'm down with all this. All right, so I have a theological question. In, in, in Mormonism, um, Jesus Christ is the only begotten of the Father in the flesh. But Mormonism, he's also the first begotten of the, of God in spirit. So we are all spiritual children, spiritual offspring of our father and mothers in heaven. And Jesus Christ, the, the, the person who became Jesus Christ, was the very first spiritual child born to God the Father. Now, given the number of people who've been on this earth, and you have to multiply that by um, 1.33, given the given the um, lost souls. Um, statistically, the probability that the firstborn would also be the best in the Abrahamic way from the Pearl Great Price, that if you line everybody up, it says there'll be one better than the other till you reach to the end, which is Jesus Christ. Statistically, the probability of the firstborn also being that person is infinitesimally improbable. Therefore, Actually, John, okay, DNC 88 verse 40. Okay. Ex- explains Crack what it saying. out on me, brother. For intelligence cleaveth unto intelligence, wisdom receiveth wisdom, truth embraceth truth, virtue loveth virtue. That, you know, the one I'm talking about? I'm with you. Okay. Christ was drawn to the Father and so was the first organized because he saw that and wanted it and associated himself with that. So, therefore, he was the first. And I think another way to say that is that God created him as a spiritual being to be the Savior, to be the first. Yeah, and I would have said that because he was the first, he was with God the longest and therefore became like one of the best. <laughs> I mean, that that's the way I, that I would have answered it back in the day and thought, yeah. Well, and, and Lucifer was supposed to be one of the best too, right? It doesn't yes. say he was the second born, although I've heard that implied, um, but he was one of the, the great ones. Mm-hmm. Great and elect. But, but, I mean, this is a, this is a core theological question that is a conundrum to all who, who believe in these sort of things is, if God is omnipotent and creates us, does he not create us to be what we are? And, and, um, you know. No. Go ahead, Brent. <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna throw it on me? Go ahead. <laughs> Well, I'll answer. I don't have any problem answering. To to your thing, if some parents are more righteous, God surely knows that a child born into a broken home of crack dealers who's going to be sexually abused from the time they're three or four, God knows that that child has very little chance of any any spiritual success in this life. So so just the very act of God placing that spirit in that home is a divine act of condemnation. Or you could also say on the flip side, you could say that, well, God knows that this person is a little spiritually stronger and therefore can withstand some of it. Well, give me a case. Give me a case where uh, uh, one of the great ones, like the Hinkleys, or came from a long line of sexual abuse or something. I, I just, I, I see what you're saying, but I don't, I don't see any precedence for that. If we look at success on any major in this world, um, coming from 
you know, like um, the slums of Calcutta doesn't really cut it. You're not going to make it. Well, and also you have to remember that uh, we're talking about spiritual success, not just um, you know, general physical success or something. So why somebody might come from a crack house and, and, and manage to become a CEO, they still might not be a spiritual giant. So are we seeing any spiritual giants coming from a non-spiritual home? All right. Well, this is a, this is a good tangent. And I actually expected to have this discussion, um, but let's, uh, let's steer back. So I, I think <laughs> the thing that, that is important is that in Mormon theology, you have these beings that were all sort of peers. Um, and then, of course, they bifurcated and, and went in different directions in terms of spirituality, and some of them end up in different statuses. So here we have Joseph talking about these two beings, um, these two types of being resurrected beings um, of who of whom Moroni was. So when they show, I guess resurrected beings have superpowers, though, like they can float, right? Um, so teleportation. Yeah, they can, but don't. Isn't it the isn't it the doctrine that um, embodied spirits have more power than anything that doesn't have a body? I I think you. Or am would, I making that up? You would naturally have no, to come right. to that conclusion because otherwise, why would you want to be resurrected? Because you, otherwise, you're getting imprisoned in a in in flesh and and, and bones again, where you were free as a spirit. So it has to have some sort of advantage. I don't well, know and, what. And going- Go ahead. Going back on the floating thing, tell me if you guys have heard this one, that the reason why they all float is because when Christ comes back and touches his toe to the Mount of Olives, that's supposed to be – he's supposed to be the first one that comes back and sets foot on the ground. <laughs> oh. No, because Moroni, Moroni used to walk back and forth. And, and, and he had a monkey. Stuff. I just read that. Have you guys heard the story of Moroni and the monkey? What? <laughs> <laughs> That Joseph was going through the woods one time, and he saw an old guy wearing a gray cloak who had a monkey and a box. And um, I'll, I'll have to find the reference. I'll put the reference like, for this up on the citation wow. here. The, I, need, the, I, need I, I was reading it. this in Early Mormon Documents, Volume 1 from Dan Vogel, um, Signature Books. Um, and um, this guy had a monkey, and he asked Joseph, said, if you give me a shilling or whatever it was, I'll, sh- I'll, sh- I'll show you what's in my box. Or he said he had a monkey in the box or something to do with a monkey. <laughs> and jo- Joseph said, no, I've seen a hundred monkeys. I'm not going to pay, pay you a quarter to see your damn monkey. And so he went on his way. And then, um, and, and, and then he was pondering it or praying about it. And then he came to the conclusion that that was Moroni. And, um, if he had given him the shilling, um, then Moroni would have let him have the plates back. <laughs> I just sure there's something a, a, wow. <laughs> something a little weird about an old man in the wood asking if if you want to see his monkey. There's a whole I mean, genre. Sure there's no euphemisms there. <laughs> there's a whole genre of stories of Joseph Smith meeting a man in the woods. Um, so so that's one of them. I'll, I'll get you all the reference. I don't I think make William was spreading lies. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Okay. So let's get to the meat of this thing. Okay. Verse four. <clears throat> When a messenger comes saying he has a message from God, offer him your hand and request him to shake hands with you. If he be an angel, he will do so, and you will feel his hand. So we define angel in verse 1 as a resurrected being. If he be the spirit of a just man made perfect, he will come in his glory, for that is the only way he can appear. Now, I don't know what come in his glory meant in um, 1843, but if you say, I knocked on the door and she answered it in all of her glory, <laughs> d- is, is he saying, oh. is he saying that the glory, these resurrected beings come in there all together? He's, he's going to mm. let you see his monkey. No. <laughs> no. 
No, that's just wrong. <laughs> he, he said oh, when the podcast slides into apostasy. He, he said when Moroni when Moroni appeared to him the first time, he said he was naked because his robe was open. Mm-hmm. Right? It's in the scriptures. I don't make this stuff up. Well, didn't God show his hindquarters to Moses or something? There was a little bit about there was a, a mooning episode I thought in the Old Testament I somewhere. Think, I think you're right. I thought it was that Jesus gave the brother of Jared the finger. <laughs> okay. So, have got, okay, but back to the in his glory. It, if you go and look in the teachings of the prophet Joseph, he talks about the glory of these spirits as being like fire. That, that they're, you know, which kind of makes you wonder why you had to ask to shake their hands. I mean, if they're on fire, you would kind of maybe... Come to the assumption that something abnormal was going on. Hey there, fella. Why do you burn and not be consumed? <laughs> so, so wait. But what I'm confused about is we we went through in the first part of this chapter, and we decided that resurrected beings were a higher order of being, but the non-resurrected beings have more glory. Is that right? Well, to yeah, they have because their spirit and their light. I mean, so glory and light are synonymous here, right? And, right, and if, remember, if, okay. if you're if you're a body and you're resurrected, then the glove covers the hand and it blocks out the light. You know, it's because the light's all inside of your veins. That it the glory's the glory's flowing angel. through you if you're resurrected. If if you're it's just a spirit, you're you are kind of naked where you don't have the body, so your glory shines out. So this is like from the movie Cocoon, where they peel off their skin yes, and they're all like glo- exactly all glowy and everything. That is exactly what it is. It's, it's like Cocoon. Sorry, I didn't mean well, to. Spoiler to alert. I didn't mean to ruin that movie for anybody. Um, <laughs> 30 years later. Uh, all right. Spoiler alert. Um, I, I do want to flip, before we get back, I want to flip to the next section, DNC um, 131. 130, so two sections forward. Verse 7. There is no such thing as immaterial matter. All spirit is matter, but it is more fine or pure and can only be discerned by purer eyes. Um, verse 8, we, we cannot see it, but when our bodies are purified, we shall see that it is all matter. So for Smith, um, as he's defining his um, spiritual beings, he's saying there's that, that, that we live in a physical state. And God himself is in a physical state. It's just a higher order, a more refined um, degree of matter. So it's not no, – normally when people talk about spiritual beings, they, 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 use, um, they use spiritual as a distinction between matter. We'll talk about the mind-matter dualism, the spiritual matter dualism. They're two distinct things that, that are, are, are not together at all. Of course, Atheists and materialists and these sort of people reject that, and they say your your thoughts come from your physical mind. Interestingly enough, Joseph was kind of down that path. He was saying your spirit is a is a physical thing. It's just of an order higher than what we're used to, so we can't really interact with it correctly. We haven't created the instruments fine enough to measure it yet. Yes. Did you all have the lesson? Except for those of us with really... Soft hearts. The people that have hardened their hearts don't, but people that are uh, attuned to the spirit, they can feel it and they can measure it. Okay. So that's where. But seriously, I mean, that's that's where that's where the the logic comes in, isn't it? That's what they would say. 
Yeah, that's what they're I saying. Can, I can feel it, but you can't because you've hardened your heart as an apostate. Well, there's there's plenty outside. Wait, did you just call me an apostate? There, I'm, I'm speaking <laughs> as if. There's, there's plenty of people outside the church who believe the same sort of things. They can see spirits and or, or auras and all that kind of stuff. So this isn't really that different from what, what others believe. But it is different in the sense that Smith suggests that spirit matter is matter. It's not. What's the movie that 32 grams where they, they weigh the guy as he dies and they see the spirit leave him or something like that? I know. Uh, it was a Will Smith movie. It wasn't, or no, it was a Sean Penn movie. I'll, I'll leave yeah. the uh, evacuation joke on the table. And- <laughs> oh. <laughs> All right. It, 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 with resurrected beings, you you got to look to Christ as the example. He sat and ate a meal, but he's obviously God, but he obviously turned his glory down that he could walk in. <laughs> They thought he was another man. You Normally know. he has it turned up to 11, but he, he turned it down to three. <laughs> well, when he appeared to Lorenzo Snow, he was all gloried up. But when he came to visit the other apostles, they was, looked like a regular guy. Some of the stuff I was reading said that angels actually, you, you don't see them as glorified at all. That right. Even though they're resurrected beings, they just look like people, and you wouldn't know the difference. Well, and that, yeah. that's what Joseph, Joseph talked about running into... Um, there's a lot, like I was applying before, there are a lot of stories, um, of Joseph running into Moroni here, there, and around and identifying him to the parties later and saying, Oh, that was Moroni. Um, <laughs> and of course we and had, that gave him license to do that. Yeah. Yeah. But it's also consistent with like the, the road to Damascus story where Jesus is walking with the apostles and they don't recognize him. They think that they're just walking with the, a normal guy. Right. And of course, it's a consistent motif. There's another order being here. We've we've sort of implied a couple times um, that's not discussed in 129, which is the um, preserved person, um, like John, John the Beloved, and the three Nephites, who somehow maybe they've got like a um, hybrid mix of blood and this angelic um, spinal fluid, and that keeps them. Like going perpetually, but they're not really resurrected beings. But so they're not translated either. They they haven't been taken up. They're still on the earth. Yeah, we need to have the. We need to. We need to talk about those guys some more. We we need a heavenly taxonomy. Is what we need. I know it's getting confusing already. <laughs> All right. Okay, so let's see. If he be an angel, he will do so. So so you reach out. This is this is the, the the grand key to know if the the three grand keys by which you distinguish um, the correct nature of ministering angels. You reach out and say, "Hey, buddy, let's shake on it." And if he be an angel, he will do so. He'll say, "Put her there, pal," and he'll give you a firm handshake. Um, and if he be the spirit of a just man made perfect, um, he will come in his glory, for that is the only way he can appear. Ask him to shake hands with you. But he will not move, because it's contrary to the order of heaven for a just man to deceive, but he will still deliver his message. Now, I, I like that he doesn't, like, say anything. Is, what, can't he just say, no, I, I really would, but, you know, I'm, <laughs> I haven't yet ascended to my father. Don't t- touch me not. I mean, wh- wh- why can't he say, why, doesn't he, why does he just not move? And, and does, does he look like a deer caught in the headlights at that moment? Or he's going to like, oh, crap. Damn it. They're applying that shaking hand thing. Oh. All right. And my objection oh, man, to verse... I, I wish I could shake hands. My objection to verse 7 will be implied in verse 8. So I'll just go ahead and read the rest of this. If it be the devil as an angel of light, when you ask him to shake hands, he will offer you his hand. 
and you will not feel anything. You may therefore detect him. These are the three grand keys whereby you may know whether any administration is from God. You know, That's stupid. why are these I devils so <laughs> dumb? Because I was always, you know, I was terrified of the devil. I was sure he was cunning and, you know, all this. But you can fake him out with a handshake <laughs> every time. Doesn't he read so- Doctrine and Covenants? <laughs> exactly. Because all you have to do is stand there. He doesn't even have to deceive. He just has to stand still. And you'll be like, oh, this is a being of light. And the thing is, he can, he can fake the light. He can fake the glory. He can, he can do everything else. But every time he falls for the handshake, every time. <laughs> well, there's a law. The, the reason that is that is because there's a law that they have to obey. Oh, come on. There's the a law. handshake law? Broke the law? Yeah, there is. Wait, no. wait, wait, wait. Let's read verse 8, before, and then you can go on and explain this nonsense to me. <laughs> if it be the devil, when you ask him to shake his hand, he will offer you his hand. Uh, let's see. Oh, for a, it, uh, the verse, verse 7, it is contrary to the order of heaven for a just man to deceive. The implication is that the just man doesn't reach out. So, so the, the just man and the devil are of the same material being. They're this fine spiritual matter. They were both born in the pre-existence, and one became a devil, and the other came to the earth life and died, and then presumably returned to his state. He has more glory now because he was just, but he's the same matter. He's the same material. And he says he can't shake your hand because he won't deceive you. The implication is that the devil will do it because he'll deceive. The, you're saying it's a law? The, the, the devils are bound by... They, they can cause all sorts of mayhem, <laughs> rape, and they can do anything they want on this world. They, they, can, they can just literally think of the worst things you've ever heard, yeah. right? They can do that, but by gum, they sure have to shake your hand if the offer They cannot one. refuse a handshake. You can watch them struggle well, against it. I think it's kind of like in Roger Rabbit. If you sing "Shave in a Haircut," he has to respond two bits. That might be what it is. <laughs> That's the you best explanation I've ever heard for well, this. One of the things that, according to the teachings of the prophet, is that the laws given to the prince, prince of darkness and his legions include the sign of the dove. When the prophet tells us he was instituted before the creation of the world, a witness of the Holy Ghost, and the devil cannot come in the sign of the dove. So there's one example. So if God can give laws to the devils, here's one. Hey, hey, God, here's a suggestion. Don't mess with human beings. Just just leave them alone. <laughs> well, there is, there is that. We know that it is not given unto Satan to tempt little children until they become of the cannibal age, D&C 2947. Well, so, so, so why not have the law just don't, don't do it at all? Hey, hey, we have this thing. Here, here, here's God. Hey, guys. We have this thing. We're, we're trying to test these humans. And I know you guys opted out, and I, that's cool. We're, we're cool with that. But we have this thing. We're trying to test their agency. We, we're going to give them a veil so they forget, and we want to really prove them out to see if they'll choose good on their own or not. We, we really – this I can't overestimate how important agency is here. And, so you see, I'm not even going to you – know, I won't even – go down there more than once or twice. I'll, I'll go visit Adam. I'll go visit Joseph. But really, I'm going to stay out because we don't want to influence it for good because then we'll tip the whole plan and we'll screw it all up. If we go committing miracles or, or you know, wipe out malaria or, you know, have children who, you know, d- you know don't have leukemia, we'll, we'll just throw the whole thing into a mess. So what I'm asking you guys here as a favor to me, God, is that you just don't muck down there. I mean, you can go set up some casinos on Mars or something. You know, have a good time. It's 7,000 years. Go get your shit on. But for, for the next, for the next little while, just, just leave these guys alone. It's my law. I so decree. No, I see. I think, I think you're going about it the wrong way, John. I think God uses reverse psychology. 
and and they fall for it. All right, do 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 go on. <laughs> I, I, I can't do it as well as you just did, but you know, like like he says, he says, um, you know, whatever whatever you guys do, do not shake their hands. If they ask you to shake their hands, do not do it. And they're like, screw God, I'm gonna shake their hands. <laughs> Well, first then, chance I get, man. First chance I get. Yeah, let's show you got it. Then, then shouldn't they have read DNC 129 said, oh, <laughs> darn it. Yeah. Well, but they, can they read it? Because they can't read your mind. So now they know because we read it out loud and now we're screwed because they know now. Yeah. You ruined it for all we of us. Exactly. Well, you know, one of the, one of the things that I read about this um, was that these keys, and you may be wanting to go in this direction, John, but, but th- these, these were spelled out in more detail in the temple ceremony with the, the keys and the tokens and the secret keywords that allow you to detect the, the spirits and to like move past the angels that are standing as, as sentinels. You know, you, you, right. you can even give them a handshake and get by, right? Um, and, and like the implication there is that the, the devil wouldn't be able to, to know these keywords and secret phrases that are inside the temple. You know, but so this is the equivalent we, we, of a spiritual gang sign. It kind of, yeah, yeah. Okay. It, it's like insider information that the devil's not privy to. But I mean, the devil can get on the internet now. <laughs> the, I thought the devil owned the internet. He can get in the Library of Congress and see what's going on in the temple. You know, so he knows all the temple secret signs and tokens and stuff. He knows this you're, handshake you're trick. Assuming- you're assuming it's as simple as, as that. It, it's there's a lot more going on than that. Wait, well, I could argue that the temple is symbolic, and I think most Mormons these days would. They would say they're not literally using these signs and tokens to pass the angels. That 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 is representative, and it and it's a it's a medium to teach the covenants and and that practice. Just like the Masons would say the same thing. Um, so, but the problem with this revelation is it is extremely difficult to take this as anything other than, than literal because it doesn't have any meaning symbolically. It has no, no practical right. value outside the literal interpretation. True. And right. it also does not imply that there's anything further. It says these are three grand keys. There, it's not, these are sort of hints that, you know, you could go digging further, but, but it's really given as this is practical advice. You're, you are going to be meeting devils and angels and all kinds of stuff. You better know. And the interesting thing is when you get these specific revelations and these specific actions or things that should be done, that's where stories like this are taken and expounded upon almost tenfold within Mormon folklore. You, yeah. you hear these stories about, well, I, I, I met so-and-so and I asked to shake their hand and then they disappeared like I was talking about like I heard in my mission. You hear stories along those lines, and it's because it's such a specific action that we're told to take in the Doctrine and Covenants that people say, okay, then this is the way it is. What? See, I always thought you were supposed to just raise your right arm to the square and say, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to leave. But you have to first identify them. That's, that's really? Until you do the handshake okay. test, you won't know. Because you, you're wasting the power if you use it kind of without running it past them first. You know, You, you wouldn't want to just kind of throw that power out there. You got you got to figure it out. Is it ne- is it necessary? Because you know, there's a I don't know. It, it, the the thing I find fascinating is that this whole thing really implies that this is a a big need that that <laughs> everybody in the church needs to know this stuff, and it's gonna come up. You well, know, yeah. The, and, there, there's only 138 revelations in the Doctrine and Covenants, and a good portion of them are directed specifically to a dead person. 
Yeah. So, so I, when we, I remember having these late night conversations with as missionaries saying, well, this is sort of weird, but wow, we don't have very much revelation. So this must be very important for us to know. Why else would they put it in here? Well, John, can I say, uh, within a year after this revelation was given, there was a lot of uh, spiritualism in the neighborhood. In Hydesville, New York, there was the uh, Fox family that came to be known as the Rochester Wrappings, where they had spirits uh, actually doing things, knocking around the house. And it was this family that was haunted, you know, was brought out, and there was spirits doing things in in the area within a year of, of this revelation being given. Yeah, but this is a revelation for all times. I mean, it's in the scriptures. So it's not just for the night, you know, the 1840s in New York. This is implies that this is very important for the body of the church in general, that every member of the church needs to know this, this stuff. And you know, what's really conspicuously missing here as like a grand key to detect if it's an evil spirit. What, why don't, why didn't he say if the, because every angel is delivering a message, right? So why doesn't he say if the message is contrary to scripture, if it's contrary to the revealed word of God, then you know it's not of God. But he couldn't say that, could he? Because he was going around, you know, have, marrying other guys' wives. Well, I think you, you bring up a good point, Glenn, and I, I was going to, also raised the, the issue that this revelation has been supplanted um, today. What, what you would be told in church is that a, a common member of the church would not have a messenger from heaven deliver them a message, that that is only the, um, the domain of the brethren, that if, if, if God is going to deliver a message to the, to the earth, he will only deliver it to his chosen representative, the prophets today. That's not true. Yeah, that's only if it's if it's like for the whole church. I mean, people yeah. still have like their personal, like I, I mean, I don't know. My mom might listen to this and kill me for saying this, but she's <laughs> she's had experiences where she's felt she's she's described feeling um, spirits and like you know having them come put their hands on her head and give her a blessing and things like that. So that so there's clearly still that that rich tradition of personal revelation within Mormonism, where there can be a, a, an angelic being who ministers to people. So you're, you're saying, Mike, and, and, and from what you're saying, Glenn, that this could happen, but it would only be for my own edification. It wouldn't be any if sort it, of grand message. If Well, if, if God had a message for you or, or there was some kind of intervention that was being sent to help you out, there, there are stories that support the notion that there's stories that support that belief that people have access and it's not just, um, been sequestered by the, the brethren. So my, my question, um, for, for those of you who, who believe, um, the, the common narrative today is that the reason that, um, the priesthood, um, and the temple blessings and other fellowship items were withheld from, um, people of African descent, um, um, was because the brethren just never thought to ask that it wasn't anything that God came up with. This was just them as uh, products of their time, and they um, perpetuated these racist doctrines. Zilf and I were reading some this week, and they are horrific, the things that were being said across the pulpit. Um, and um, 
That was just their own personal, you know, machismo. <laughs> Why wouldn't God, because we, we have this laid out in one of the 138 sections, only 138 sections, that, that it's so important that we be able to detect a messenger. Why didn't God send one of the billions of people who have died from this earth to say, hey, guys, knock it the hell off? <laughs> So you're saying that there's actually almost an implied promise in this section that these sorts of messengers are are you right or or, or or certainly possible. We see some of the biggest questions of our time over the last 160, 170 years that have come before us as as humanity. The church has a terrible batting record on these ones. I'm just saying that that and, and we have huge questions before us right now. Big moral dilemmas, um, the the plague humanity, and God is silent on all these things. Well, well but, why why, but, why not what, use the this avenue? Go ahead, Glenn. Well, I mean, because it's not really going on is the answer. But but I th- I think in <laughs> in um, you know Mormon belief, you you could say that a person, just like a, a lay person in the church, could get some personal revelation and some personal assurance that. Yeah, what's happening with the blacks and the priesthood is wrong, and eventually it'll change. But they couldn't stand up in general conference and say that on behalf of the whole church because that's the province of the uh, of the prophet. And we don't know why he's not getting that message, but I know that I've gotten it. I know that the Holy Ghost, or maybe maybe there's some spirit. Or like so that we we have instance of um, we have instance of people being excommunicated for giving the priesthood to to um, those of African descent, right? Um, that, that wasn't a, a folly. Um, you know, if, if I received personal revelation that this, this was a bogus policy and Did I was, they shake the guy's hand before they gave the priesthood. <laughs> do we, do we really know where it was coming from? But doesn't that also imply then that, that you're saying that there's sort of this, that personal revelations can be on this grand scale with, with real surety and big old spirits coming down and shaking hands and stuff. But the, for the church level, we don't want to, we don't want to do that. We we want to go with just sort of feelings. Yeah, what uh, we implied that when I said when I made the joke about um, Paul being had a big nose and was short, Joseph <laughs> yeah. Smith really said that. Right. that um, yeah. And and why was Joseph so connected into all this stuff that he would say, no, 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 in heaven they they don't wear that shade of blue. Yeah, you know, you know why, why would he obviously? Well, once again, was either making stuff up or or just had this this absolute clarity of of a vision. He he talks about speaking with Moses and with Elijah and with Elias, both of them, and um, you know he he has all this 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 intercourse with these guys. And why? Where did that all go? Why why has that gone away? Has the church really fallen into apostasy? Do I need to become a fundamentalist? Help me out here, Brant. <laughs> um, I I think, gosh, that's, see that's a hard question to answer. It really is because on one hand, if you talk to uh, Anybody else, they might say, well, it still happens, but it all happens in private. I've heard people say that. Whereas I kind of sit there and say, you know, maybe it was just God trying to institute the the beginning of all these things through Joseph Smith, trying to bring up these people and these names to say, see, this is really it. And then once the religion got established and they didn't need all that magic, I guess you could say, then he said, okay, then we're good. We don't need the rest of that stuff because – you you've got scriptures and everything like that. I can buy that. No, I I I honestly think that that is a that is a wonderful answer. That you, if you read the Bible, um, it's not like they they have prophet A who serves for nine years, and there's prophet B who serves the next six, and prophet C 
we we have we have large dispensations of time, oftentimes hundreds of years between any sort of movement. In if if, if, you, if you're taking the Bible as 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 your guide, um, and and you look at the Christian movement, and there's large times um, where there's no there's no real clear um, change. So so, but then if that's the case, I I I think that Joseph was not nearly with him talking directly with these guys, having direct interaction with Jesus Christ. He was not nearly as draconian in the insistence on obedience as the brethren are today who who don't seem to have that at all. It's like if the church had that position, I, I think that'd be a fair position. They say Joseph Smith um, you know, was the head of this dispensation. He introduced the gospel. He wrote all these revelations. And, and now our, our job is to build the church. Fine. But they, they insist with this shrill voice on absolute obedience, even though they acknowledge that they may not be they may not be um um what's 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 infallible but you you can't act as if they're not you're as a member you're not allowed to say yeah i i i don't i'm not going to ta- i'm not going to take that one except if but you're a, except but, if but you're in rich a sense, you could say that that emphasis has been in a sense going on an ebb and flow ever since Joseph Smith because you had Brigham Young who had some hard line this is exactly the way it's going to be you had the same thing in the 60s you had the same thing in the 80s and it'll be interesting to see what's going to happen within the next 10 years to see if that emphasis is going to be taken off because of the internet because of different communities out there because people with their own niches of Mormonism have areas where they can congregate and talk about so it'll be interesting to see what's going to happen with that yeah I agree do you guys see that uh, Romney? This is what I was um, joking about. That he got married um, in uh, a secular marriage, and then a day later got married in the temple. And of course, his records came out, and he's not a full tithe payer. He was a full million dollars short on his ten percent. Oh. Um, oh. So uh, nothing's going to happen to him. There's always been two rules: ones for rich people, and one for the rest of us. But well, that means the GOP vote for uh, Romney in Utah is going to go from ninety nine percent down to ninety six percent. It's going to hurt. Yeah, likely. All right, so those are the grand keys of detecting a, a false spirit. Um, yeah, um, offer them your hand. The, the only problem I always had is I can never remember which one was which. Oh, which What's one would, yeah, would, would stand still and which one would try and Yeah, well, hand? You, you reach out and then you don't feel anything. And like, oh, I don't feel anything. Is he a devil? Or was he a resurrected being? Or, oh, oh, oh crap. What, which one was it? So you have, you have to say actually, which hand. You have to actually remember. <laughs> Is is that on like tests at BYU when you go through the Doctrine and Covenants? Given a spirit, um, which hand do you offer, and and what do you expect? I'm sure. It is. And do Asian Mormons have to bow? Ooh. And like, if they bonk heads? Oh, interesting point. Well, I, I do. I, I I thought about that as we were going through this. This implication that the modern Western firm, hearty handshake has always is the true order of heaven. <laughs> a lot it of purell is. up there, I guess. All right. Any uh, any last minute thoughts, Mike? You want the last word? Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> I, I have to say, I've been kind of making fun. Of, I love these sort of revelations. These are great. These these are the things that a real like a religion you can sink your teeth into. I mean, look at the first forty five minutes of this discussion on on pre mortal beings and all this stuff. I mean, that's that's Mormonism. That's that's cool. That's wonderful. It's not all this watered down. We don't know that we teach that, and I don't know what the doctrine is. And yeah, have you ever noticed how often everything the church puts out, everybody says, uh, "I'm not speaking for the church." Like, can somebody please 
speak <laughs> like somebody having authority and not as the Pharisees. Please. I nominate Mike. <laughs> I nominate Mike. <laughs> I was just going to say, like, like Glenn was saying, this ties in so much to the temple stuff. And and once you go to the temple and you learn about the tokens and things, it, this really ties into that. Yeah, I, I can see they rhyme. Um, I, I personally, my, my belief is that Joseph was riffing on two separate things. Um, but um, I, I think Joseph gave, the, gave things like this because his followers really believed strongly that he was communing with Jehovah all the time. And this gave him this air of authority. You know, he could, he could whip these things off all the time, sort of like an autistic math wizard who could just – you could throw, like, hard math problems at him all the time. But this is just so stupid. <laughs> Seriously, like how? I mean, how would this really work? It just—it's it, one of those things that, that, like, when you actually picture it, it just becomes absurd. Yeah, but you know what? Also, think about these are guys that were talking with Joseph all the time. He's talking about yeah, they, they're talking about devils walking the streets. He he talks about that a lot. If you read the teachings of the prophet Joseph Smith, he's all yeah. about the devils here and the devils. There. They must it must have been terrifying. And so he comes in, gives you nine good short little verses on how to know the difference, and it and it probably made you feel a little bit better. You know, did, did they teach a little bit this? Of security. Did, did did they teach this in Sunday school anymore? And like an elders quorum. Is there actually a unit on DNC one twenty nine where gonna, they're gonna, teaching you like here's how you shake the I hand have the current it. church DNC manual. Let me walk over and get it and see if this is in there. I'll admit I always thought this was this it's just it's just it's gotta be one of those things that they just close their eyes and hope that people don't bring up because these days it just it strains credulity. Mike, what right. am I doing this year Brand, in, in priesthood? Mike, I'm, and priesthood? I don't know. I haven't been to priesthood class. <laughs> <gasps> I, I'm always in the office that hour. Doing right. Office work. Gospel doctrine. Uh, this is Doctrine, Covenants, and Church History. Gospel Doctrine Teacher's Manual. Brand, isn't it the teachings of uh, like uh, Heber oh, J. Grant a, or something? Uh, George Albert Smith. That's right. George Albert oh, Smith. yes. And, it's George Albert Smith. And has this ever been discussed in a general conference? The grand keys. Know. I mean, can you imagine President Monson or Uchtdorf standing up there talking about the, the grand keys? The three grand keys to distinguish uh, spirit. It's just, Spirits. it's ludicrous these days. No, well, one, I think, no one would buy it. Like we talked about, Parley Pre Pratt was the reason this revelation was given, and it was preparing him for the endowment. That's why he was given this lesson. It was preparing him for the endowment. But that's not in the – is that uh, in the heading? I, I don't uh, see any heading that – I mean, it, the, because this is in general. This is to everybody. It well, doesn't if you say get the commentaries, right it's in the commentaries. Maybe, maybe like this specific utterance was too parley for that and it got written down, you know. But Actually, if, I don't if think that's John's why. Got the, if John's got the history of the church, it says in the heading, and that Joseph spent the day with parley and this is what he told him. Yeah, but you know, a lot of these actually say, here to my servant, Parley P. Pratt, you need to go out and buy Joseph a shirt, that kind of thing. This doesn't, <laughs> this doesn't say Parley's name. Do you know what I mean? It's not a specific – this is a much more general thing. That's in the history of the church. But th this is – I think this was preparing Parley for the endowment. That's why they gave this revelation. Um, the church manual that they use in, in Sunday school is a little bit weird in its organization, but the best I can tell – it doesn't have an index or anything, and they're not organized according to, you know, like they're organized, like here's the, the headings. We thank thee, O God, for a prophet, 
the hearts of children shall turn to their father. So it's not organized um, like any hi- historical basis, but I, I, I flipped through it. I can't find it. The, the Doctrine and Covenants student manual um, has, the, has, has a chapter on it. Um, yeah. It's not as um, entertaining as our chapter on it, but um, it does kind of go over the basics. Wasn't there something that, that you wanted to say earlier, John, about the, the temple ceremony and shaking the hands? Oh, yeah, yeah. You said well, you're going to back to it. Yeah, well, um, in the temple ceremony, and this is not part of the part that's, that's secret, um, um, Adam is hanging around um, post-Garden of Eden waiting for further light and knowledge, and Peter, James, and John, who have yet to be born, appear to him. So they could not have possibly been embodied. Um, and in the temple, they, um, they say, like, how do you do? And they reach out and shake hands. I'm not talking about, like, the secret handshakes. They just shake hands. Um, yeah. And um, Lucifer breaks a branch off a freaking tree. Yeah, he does. But he has power over the waters. He it's does a lot more in the Gnostic. In, in the Gnostic stories, he is, is lifting up trees and putting them in front of Adam's caves and lighting them on fire. Well, he does a lot more than break branches. Like Patrick Swayze didn't lift Gnostic. up that penny. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think I think people believe that the devil has physical powers. I don't know. It's something we need to explore a little bit more. I, it seems to. I seem to recall there's. Oh yeah, I, I remember. Um, is it Newell Knight, um, who was who was on his bed? This is from early church history. Was on his bed and was lifted up off his bed yeah. and hit oh, his man. chest on the ceiling until Joseph came in and commanded the the devils out of the room. No, that was the three. Uh three missionaries that went to Scotland and uh, I don't remember who the three were but one was attacked. No, I know I know the they, story you're talking about. That comes from Wilfred Woodruff, but um That's a different one? Yeah, it's a different story. It's it's from early oh, church wow. history. He he levitated up into the room yeah. and everybody saw it. You um, know, I have to say I was at a I was at a, a sleepover and and we made girls <laughs> levitate too. So <laughs> light as a feather. Yeah, light as a uh, feather. Stiff as a board. <laughs> stiff as a yeah. board. I I had a I had a mission companion who would not sleep in his garments. You know, and it scared me to death. I thought. Do you like to snuggle I, a lot? I thought I was going to wake up in in the middle of the night, and he'd be floating up on the the <laughs> ceiling. And I I used to ask him, "Aren't you afraid? You know, wear garments when you go to sleep." He's like, "No, then I got to do laundry twice." And you know, I'm like, <laughs> "Dude, better that than floating up on the ceiling." Haven't you heard the stories? <laughs> He's gonna have a Swedenborg experience. <laughs> All right, I'll just let that one pass. Okay. um... Well, um, as always, I guess the discussion will continue on the, um, the website at mormonexpression.com. And if you have your story of, um, shaking hands with the devil, well, we want to hear it. Um, so, uh, you know, post them out there. Um, these are sacred, not secret. So you're welcome to share them with the world. Um, and let's see. This episode, well, I guess we need to talk about, um, we have the camping trip coming up July 20th, although that is filling up fast. If you want to get in on that, um, I, uh, probably within the next three weeks, that's going to be full. Um, Las Vegas, March 15th, March 14th through the 17th, 2013. Get your reservations in. Our hotel room block is going to fill up there fast. Um, you can express your interest. We'll, as soon as we have details, we'll send it to you at mail at Mormon Expression. Um, Dot com And we've got some other great things in the works uh, we're excited about. This episode was directed by me, John Larson, and was produced by Brant. Thanks, Brant. No problem. And um, what?
Oh, uh, well, hold hold on. Uh, hold that thought. Zilf was talking to me. And um, this episode was edited by Rich Rasmussen. Our uh, theme music was by The Seldon Plan. And Zilfa told me to remind you all that the 2012 Mormon Expression Essay Contest is now called to order. Get your essays of less than 10 minutes um, submitted. There's a number of ways to do that. But the best way is just to email us at mail at mormonexpression.com. There'll be uh, two prizes again this year, 100 bucks for Mormon Expression Choice. That means uh, we get to decide which one we like the best. And then for Listener's Choice, we'll get votes from the listeners, and, and they'll pick the uh, two winners. So it's your chance to be heard. All right. Well, thanks, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.